Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot's Read Harder Challenge. Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. You can read historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from an indie press, and even more different kinds of books in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizes for those who complete the challenge. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast that is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Friday, January 3rd, 2020. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Uh, fine. 2020 sounds so weird. I know. I was just telling somebody that it sounds like a date, like, that is the future. And so, like, we should all be running around with, like, robot servants, like, wearing metallic clothes all the time and stuff, you know? Like, it just feels like the future to me. Yeah, like in those apocalyptic movies, and it's, like, the year 2020. Exactly. It's so weird. It's so weird. So we're we're going to open this uh, episode with something that we are... I don't know if ashamed is exactly the word, but uh, look back quick back at our 2019 reading goals, because uh, we both set some and we talked about them on the podcast. Uh, and then I think both pretty epically failed. <laughs> yeah, that's that fair? fair. Yeah, uh-huh. that's fair. Yep. So um, my main one was I had three. Uh, one was to read 12 like professional or personal development books, which I uh, did not at all. I think maybe I read three instead of 12. So good job. I was going to read 40 books that are that, that were on my shelves at the beginning of the year, so not books that I bought, but that I had previously owned. I did not do that. I did not read 40 books that were on my shelves, but I did read, um, I read uh, like something like 85-ish books this year, and more than 50 of them were uh, books that I owned. So, but only like 15 of those were books that I had previously owned before 2019. So... I read a bunch of books that were mine, which is like more than half of the books I read were books that I personally owned, but a lot of those were books that I bought this year and then read. So uh, I did not really complete that goal, but I'm giving myself like a half a point for reading at least some of the books I bought. I feel like you can give yourself a full point because they were books, you read over 40 books that you owned. That's true. That's true. They just weren't 40 books that were on my shelves at the beginning of the year, but... Uh, it was a good try. Uh, and then the other one was to only buy books from bookstores instead of buying them online. And I feel like actually I did a pretty good job with this one. I did not exclusively buy books in stores. I did end up buying a few off of Amazon at different times. But for the most part, I was able to buy them in store or like 
buy them online through Barnes and Noble and then go pick them up at my local Barnes and Noble store where I very often then like bought another book while I was in there. So I have a lot of books. It's a problem. So uh, actually, I guess I did pretty, pretty okay on that one too. That's awesome. Um, I think you actually did uh, better with you, despite your self-deprecation, Kim. Um, I think you did better with your <laughs> 2019 reading resolutions than I did. Uh, I had uh, read three self-help books, which I was very um, not jazzed about and then did <laughs> not follow through with. So there we go. Um, I was supposed to finish Martin Chuzzlewit, the Dickens book I've been working on for, I don't know, three to four years now. Um, I think I read like 10 pages in 2019. So there we go. And then, uh, let's see, create a TBR shelf of nine to 12 books I own and finish them all. I don't think that happened. I didn't actually track it. Um, but I'm pretty sure based on what I read last year that it just, it just didn't happen. I read a lot of either library books or books for this podcast. So like very mm -hmm. new books that were like in my, uh, Kindle Fire and therefore not on my shelf. But, Anyway, and then, oh, shop at Barnes & Noble's website when possible. This was mainly meaning, like, either shop at indie bookstores or shop at Barnes & Noble online. Um, I think I mostly just didn't buy books online. I mostly bought books at mm -hmm. my local bookstores, which uh, I feel good about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that as a win for that one. I think that's good. I think that's fair. I mean, the point is to, like, not buy books online and or to, to support bookstores rather than websites that also sell books along with everything else. So I, I think that. Have you thought about any goals for 2020 or not really? <laughs> no. Um, I got <laughs> I got to just over 100 books uh, for 2019. That goal. Oh, that's right. That yeah, I set that's amazing. In August. Yeah, I got to 101. Um, so you. I'm currently kind of like, do I want to try to like really go for it this year and hit my all-time high record um which is going to be like over 120 something oh, but gosh. i don't know yet i'm still debating because i'm also supposed to get married this year and i'm like is that really <laughs> really an mm -hmm. effective use of my time is um forcing <laughs> myself to read way too much but we'll see yeah what about you I'm still kind of deciding. I think the one that I have settled on is not particularly about like what I'm going to read, but I'm going to um, try to post on Instagram every book that I read this year. Um, I did a really, really bad job last year of like sharing the books that I actually read, except for like talking about them here on the podcast. And I would like to do a better job with that. So I'm going to try to do a book, bookstagram, Instagram picture and like short review of some kind of every book that I read this year. That's the, that's the main goal. I would be delighted if you posted more on Instagram. So I am all for this. I Yeah, I really want to do that. And I, I like Instagram. I just got kind of distracted and busy and burned out and all sorts of different things this year. So I'm hoping to get back to that. And so, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Kim the Dork. Hopefully I will post about everything I read. That's the that's the goal. And with that, I was actually going to do a plug for your Instagram, but you beat me to it. <laughs> but yes, follow Kim at Kim the Dork. Um, Yes, our first sponsor for the episode is uh, Book Riot Insiders. It's a new year. That means new perks. We have sweetened the current short story and novel levels and introduced a brand new epic level. You can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read, which is available to all epic members. There's no cap on epic, so the more the merrier. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. But wait! 
there's more. Get the full details on this and all the other perks and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. Excellent. That sounds very exciting. Um, all right. So we're going to start this week's podcast with uh, new books, but we're going to do kind of an abbreviated version because really the whole podcast this week is going to be on new books. Our, our main topic is going to be uh, books we're anticipating in 2020. So we'll get to talk about some of those. But we each have one new book that we have read that we are excited to talk about that are out now that I think you can get um, so that before we go ahead and preview a bunch of stuff that you cannot get yet. So um, my book, my new book for this week is called um, And Then We Grew Up on Creativity, Potential, and the Imperfect Art of Adulthood by Rachel Friedman. And it came out December 31st from Penguin, um, which, man, just like side note, December 31st is a rough day to have a new book come out, isn't it? Like, yep. is anyone paying it? Like, that's just a hard date. Um, so... But this one is really good, and so I'm really excited to talk about it. So um, Rachel Friedman was a very serious viola, serious and talented viola player when she was a kid. Um, she uh, played in her school. She played in an orchestra, and she attended this arts camp for this – I think arts camp is kind of a weird way to describe it. But a camp for kids called Interlochen, which was for um, kids who were um, pretty advanced in the creative arts. But um, So she went there as a kid and really thought that she was going to um, have a career as a professional musician. And then um, when she got to college and actually started – studying music, she discovered that she did not want to do that. She writes about getting such anxiety before her one-on-one lessons with her professors that she actually like threw up in her dorm room and couldn't go and just realized it wasn't for her. So she quit the viola, basically just stopped playing uh, and kind of moved on with her life. She um, became a writer. She wrote a book. She kind of continued to pursue creativity in her life, but um, found herself at a place where she was struggling to really like make it work. Um, and uh, the book says struggling with her fantasy of an artist's life versus this much more complicated reality. So uh, what she decided to do is track down her kid friends from camp from Interlochen to see See how their childhood ambitions as actors and artists and dancers and musicians had actually turned out for them. Um, and so she goes to interview all of these um, former classmates and former campmates of hers and just kind of explores the different ways that people as adults, people who are creative as children, bring that creativity into their adult lives, either in their careers or in their hobbies or in some combination of both. And so it's this book about um, how to balance creativity and ambition when they kind of go together and sometimes don't, um, how to live a creative life when things don't work out as you expected, how to push back against some of the kind of ingrained ideas we have about artists and creative people and creative life and kind of the all or nothing um, attitudes and and beliefs that the people can sometimes have. Um, and so then like how to bring creativity into your life with balance and joy. Um, and I have just been finding it very um, inspiring kind of. Um, it's uh, she is She's a funny writer and she's very um, open with kind of some of her, I guess, misconceptions and ideas about creativity and being an artist. And um, I appreciate some of that kind of um, introspection. And I also really love the stories that she's sharing about people who have found different ways to balance creativity in their adult lives. Some people who thought they might be professional musicians and now teach a high school orchestra or people who have learned to um, kind of go with the ebb and flow of a successful creative life and kind of come up with their own markers. And I, there's a lot, I think, to learn in that for people who 
do have ambitions to pursue something creative, whether it's, you know, who want to write or who want to write a book or who try to figure out creative hobbies and how we kind of find space for that amongst the like day to day of a working life and making money and kind of surviving as an adult. So, um, I found like lots of parts of it really interesting. And I think anybody who, um, is a creative person who thinks about creativity and how they balance that in their life will find something interesting in the book for sure. So, uh, that is called, and then we grew up on creativity, potential, and the imperfect art of adulthood by Rachel Friedman. I have a question about this book. Yes. So as a middle schooler, I remember, well, my connotations with Interlochen were that the kids were snooty nerds because yes. they were like, we got into Interlochen, we're awesome. Now, I might be harboring some grudges left over <laughs> from that in middle school. So it, my question is, is that the actual vibe of these people as, or have they like, or did they refer it all to that? Cause you said yes. So I'm assuming there is some way that that pops up. Yeah. So I mean, she describes what it is like to go to Interlochen and she describes like how she remembers these people as adults to how she remembers them as children, like what their, um, their vibe and their kind of attitude and their talent level at camp actually was. And she describes like her experiences being there and like how kind of insane and difficult it is. But I think that, um, I guess the, the three people that she has sort of profiled so far have ended up in kind of really different paths. So one is a, um, she's a middle school, I think middle or early high school orchestra conductor. Um, one is a writer for television who kind of has had some ups and downs and projects. And then one, uh, was trying to work as a professional musician and now is kind of figuring something else out. So I think they, um, are not as, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to describe like where they're at. I think that they all seem like nice people. <laughs> Great. So you're saying they have, they have grown up for, uh, in a literal sense and via metaphorically. I would, I would say so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. See, this is, this is good. I, I wish I could sort of go back to middle school Alice and be like, they all get better. <laughs> anyway sorry not to take out time for this podcast for my interlock and grudge that book sounds great um my new pick for this week is tonight we bombed the u.s capitol the explosive story of m19 america's first female terrorist group by william rosenau uh this book is Interesting. So at the very beginning, William Rosenau is talking about how he wasn't able to get interviews with any of the actual members of M19, which stands for uh, May 19th, which is basically it was the May 19th communist organization, which they called because it was a birthday shared by Malcolm X and Ho Chi Minh. So this is so M19, he tried to interview the women and they were all like, we know your background. We're not talking to you. <laughs> and I was like, that's bold of you to just say at the very beginning of your book, sir. So because of that, I was and I looked him up and I was trying to see, like, what is his, you know, kind of slant um, or I guess bias going into this. I think that he is trying to present it as factually as he can, like the events of of this terrorist group in the 70s and 80s. And I think that it's definitely biased towards like these people are just kind of being ridiculous <laughs> which was interesting because i was like i kind of thought you were going to be like 
here are their actual goals and all this stuff. But they're they're so I think if you're going to read it, which it's a really easy read and um, it's very interesting. I think going in knowing that maybe some of the information is going to be laid out in a way that makes you not as sympathetic to the main people being talked about, um, who again were not interviewed because they chose not to be. Um, but anyway, that being said, this talks about them in the 1980s and 1970s when so in 1981 ronald reagan said it was morning in america and you know that the american dream isn't over and all this stuff but so and at the end of the 70s a lot of radical groups had decided to disband but these six veteran women extremists came together and basically they had spent their whole life like in these political struggles so like protesting vietnam fighting for black and native american liberation confronting us imperialism and so they had this group and they carried out some of these just like i mean the 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 line in their sort of like pitch for the book right is the most daring operations in the history of domestic terrorism although i feel like saying most daring coupled with domestic terrorism is not necessarily great because most daring count sounds kind of laudatory but anyway um they're all fascinating women there's um there's like a number of characters that they sort of talk about throughout from like the 70s and 80s they talk about all these prison breaks with people who are still like missing like there's this one woman who claimed um political uh asylum in cuba and she's still there and the u.s has like i think like a huge reward on her and it's just like all these sort of people i'd never heard of who apparently are still incredibly wanted by the fbi and this chapter of i guess like american history that i did not know very much about so it's really interesting again read it with like a little bit of uh uh, awareness of the writer and uh, again that is tonight we bombed the u.s capitol the explosive story of m19 america's first female terrorist group by william rosenau that sounds so interesting. I have a question. Yeah. Did you get a sense, like, when it, like, did they, would they have not, these women uh, who are in the book, would they not have wanted to be interviewed by anyone because they're worried about, like, being discovered or, like, that they're still wanted? Or is it, like, the author in particular they were not interested in talking to? It sounded, like, the way that they phrased the answer to him was, or at least this one woman that he quoted, was that because of his particular background, which I think is being pretty involved with the U.S. government. Um, And he has spent a lot of time studying terrorism. She was like, no. But I think it's because of his involvement with the government. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right, cool. So those are two books that are out now that you can get. And now we're going to keep talking about new books, but mostly books that are not out yet that we are excited and looking forward to. Um, and it, just skimming through, it looks like most of them are in like the first quarter of the year. Because um, I didn't really see a lot of, I don't know, it's just harder to find books that are further out. So these are mostly books in the next few months, I think, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, my first 2020 anticipated title is uh, American Sherlock, Murder, Forensics, and the Birth of American CSI by Kate Winkler Dawson. And it is out uh, February 11th from G.P. Putnam. And it is a book about the birth of forensic science in the United States, which I am such a nerd about. Um, so the book is set in Berkeley, California in 1933 at the lab of a guy named Edward Oscar Heinrich, who is one of the first forensic scientists in the United States. 
Uh, he developed tools like blood spatter analysis and ballistics and lie detectors and fingerprints. Uh, and he was one of the first expert witnesses to bring all of that um, science to court, uh, flaws and all, and um, kind of start using it in the criminal justice system. So he helped pioneer the science that our legal system still uses today. Um, and also, the book. so the book looks at that and kind of tells his story and then also um, talks about the limits of those types of forensic techniques and the experts who use them. So uh, it's a kind of a story of a person, a biography, but also a bigger, more general look at the history and birth of forensics, which um, I find super fascinating. I just, I love stuff like that. So I'm really uh, jazzed about this one. So I hope, I hope to get to read it and talk about it more later. I am also excited about that one. I'm glad that you talked about it. Yeah, that was on my short list that did not make this list of books that I'm Whoa. excited about. Um, so many lists. So many lists and sublists, etc. <laughs> um, so my first pick is A Black Woman's History of the United States by Dana Ramey Berry and Callie Nicole Gross. It's out February from Beacon Press. Um, I'm very impressed by Beacon Press, by the way. They do a lot of interesting stuff. So this is uh, sort of reaches far beyond, right, the single narrative to showcase black women's lives in all their fraught complexities. So what Barry and Gross do is um, they prioritize many different voices, which uh, include enslaved women, freed women, religious leaders, artists, queer women, activists, and women who lived, quote, outside the law. So it's the starting point for exploring black women's history and, uh, oh, I'm going to just quote this because it's great. A testament to the beauty, richness, rhythm, tragedy, heartbreak, rage, and enduring love that abounds in the spirit of black women in communities throughout the nation. Um, these are both respected scholars. I am so excited to read this book. Um, and already in February. So we're going to, I'm going to talk about it again come February, but just a little preview. Very excited. And again, that is a black woman's history of the United States. Excellent. That's a really good pick. Uh, looks really good. Uh, all right. So my next pick is uh, called Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby, uh, which is a collection of essays that will be coming out uh, March 31st from Vintage. Um, and so I was... I was, I was interested in this book when I first heard about it, but I got way more excited about it after I listened to the audio of, um, I can't remember if uh, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life is her first book or her second it's book. her second book. Is it her second? Okay. I listened to the audiobook of that kind of this summer and into the fall, and I just loved it so much. Uh, it is so funny and weird. Um, there are parts of it that are super gross and there are parts that are really uncomfortable and there are parts where she's really frank and there's parts that are sad. And I just like, I had such a range of feelings listening to the audiobook. I remember I was out on a walk and I was listening to this very, one of the early essays about, um, why uh, she could never be a contestant on The Bachelor. And I was just like, walking down the street laughing out loud, like, weirdly, uh, in the middle of my neighborhood. And I thought, everyone's gonna think you're totally crazy. And then there are essays in the back half of it where they're, they're just, like, heartbreaking. Um, and I was so just excited about it. So then when I remembered that she has this new collection called Wow No Thank You coming out in March, I got super jazzed because I think it'll be great on audiobook again. Um, so Wow No Thank You is um, about being 40 and, quote, increasingly uncomfortable in her own skin. So so um, at the close of We Are Never Meeting in Real 
life. Um, she had just um, left her job in Chicago. She had published some books, and she was moving into a house in a, a blue town in a red state to live with her new wife and their children. Um, and so she was writing about kind of being apprehensive and and what that whole transition was going to be like. And so um, this book is about all of those things. It's about making friends in this new town. It's about going to Hollywood and what that kind of experience was like. Um, and just like all sorts of different things. Like there's really her essay collection feels totally inevitable when you read it. Like it makes total sense. But the topics she's covering just like range and are so funny and weird. And I just I'm I, I'm so jazzed about this one because I the last audiobook of that one was great. And I'm definitely going to listen to this one on audio when it comes out. So that is Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby, which is out March 31st from Vintage. Not to be a Samantha Irby hipster, but I'm going to be right now. I would say she's from – okay, so she's from Chicago, right? So yeah, I was a mm-hmm. big fan of her from um, Meaty, which was her first book, which I remember when it was just – it was oh. published by this you know much, much smaller press than she is with now. And I thought it was just so funny. It's got this rooster on the cover. They've since reissued it with a new cover. Um, and I was recommending it to all these people. I was like, she's so deft at switching between tragedy and comedy. And she was mm-hmm. such a good writer that um, I'm so happy that she has all of this success now. Um, I wasn't – I liked Meaty more than her second book, but I am very excited to read her third, which I forgot was coming out. So, wow, good job yeah. bringing that up. That's why I was confused because I – I think We Are Never Meeting in Real Life is the first one that got, like, a lot of mainstream attention, and they reissued Meaty or, like, republished it with a different cover. Yeah. Um, even – okay. Yeah, that's why I got confused. Yeah. So I have – I forgot I had another Samantha Arby to read before this one. So I think 2020 is going to be the year of Samantha Arby for me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good year. Um, okay. Along with our, you know, uh, what is it? Post-apocalyptic inevitability Indeed. according to the year name. Anyway. <laughs> Everything's fine. Okay. Uh, my next pick is Yellow Bird, Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country by Sierra Crane Murdoch. So this book is the true story, because this is a nonfiction podcast, of a murder on an Indian reservation and the Arikara woman who becomes obsessed with solving it. So her name is uh, Lisa Yellow Bird. She was released from prison in 2009, and she went um back home which was the fort berthold indian reservation in north dakota but it had been transformed by the bakken oil boom so this was basically her tribal government um corporate interests had come in and been like we want to drill for oil and all this stuff so everything had been um very changed by this oil boom and then all of a sudden they had this surge in violence and addiction and so then three years later Lisa learns that a young white oil worker named Christopher K.C. Clark um, had disappeared from his reservation work site, and she got really concerned. No one knew where he'd gone. Um, no one was really looking for him. So what this book does is it sort of follows her as she looks for clues to his disappearance and um, is kind of going between these worlds of like her own tribe and which has experienced all these recent changes and gotten all this money and then the non-native oil men who came to sort of find work um, and again this is 2009 uh, or a couple years after so it's pretty soon after the um, economic recession uh, again this sounds awesome just like really interesting and a look at this you know North Dakota community again it's a lens I feel like we don't see very often um, so that is Yellowbird Oil Murder and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country by Sierra Crane Murdoch. 
was reading the notes and stuff that you copied in, and it calls it an urgent work of literary journalism. And I was like, well, I'm sold. I don't need to hear anything else. Uh, and then you kept talking, and I was like, oh, man, that is so good. And I wrote it down because I have to remember to try and find that one when it comes out because that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So good. It's going to be good. All right, so my next pick is called Wine Girl, The Obstacles, Humiliations, and Triumphs of America's Youngest Sommelier by Victoria James. And it comes out March 24th from Echo. And so this is a memoir by a woman who became a sommelier at a Michelin-starred restaurant when she was just 21 years old, uh, which is uh, just bananas. Like, that's that's so hard, and she's so young, and that's really amazing. So. Uh, the book is about kind of her experience as being a sommelier in this amazing restaurant, selling bottles of wine worth hundreds or thousands of dollars, um, passing her certification exams, and then getting all of these like distinctions and accolades for her work, while also dealing with patrons who were groping her and bosses who abused their role and status and um, all sorts of other really stressful and terrible things. And so um, she writes about kind of hitting rock bottom in the middle of kind of all of that life and then reemerging as the wine girl of a restaurant of her own after kind of getting her passion for wine back after visiting vineyards and that kind of thing um and this one uh caught my attention and got me excited because um i love wine and i love food writing and it reminds me of two books i read last year uh, in 2019 um one about cork dork uh, is about a woman who talks about the sommelier test and then notes from a young black chef and it feels like this book is kind of a combination of maybe those two which i both really liked so um i'm excited about it so that's wine girl the obstacles humiliations and triumphs of america's youngest sommelier by victoria james i don't really like wine so i don't really read about wine however that sounds very interesting and it is really impressive that she became a sommelier at such a young age i mean how does that even like did she start taking the test when she was like 17 I genuinely have no idea. I've not read this one at all. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, it is books we're excited to read. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have to, like, catch me up later after you check that out. Um, my next pick is Minor Feelings, an Asian-American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. It's out in, Febu on, yeah, in February from One World. Um, Kathy Park Hong is a poet and essayist. The reason that I initially looked at this, aside from its amazing cover, is that Claudia Rankin has a blurb for it, which is, to read this book is to become more human. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, it was so impressive for such an impressive person herself, obviously, Claudia Rankin. So... Um, and she's also a poet, so to hear this about um, a, a fellow poet was really great. So what this does is it combines um, kind of memoir and cultural criticism, and it's a series of essays, right, as we frequently have now, but uh, frequently to great effect, so that's fine. So she is, uh, Kathy Park Hong is the daughter of Korean immigrants. She grew up steeped in uh, shame, suspicion, and melancholy, and she would later understand that these, um, quote, minor feelings occur when American optimism contradicts your own reality. So like when you believe the lies you're told about your own racial identity, you have Again, quote, minor feelings. Um, they are not small. They're dissonant. So in their tension, it says that she finds the key to the questions that haunt her. Um, I am so excited to read this book. I I feel like, again, not to like keep being like, it talks about a thing we don't normally talk about. I mean, we do talk a lot now, I think, about, you know, like people's different like journeys and like how they see themselves as Americans. But um Going at it from the point of view of a poet, I am really interested in how she's going to frame everything. And again, the cover is really good. 
So it kind of reminds me of something from the 60s, but not in a bad way. Because I feel like a lot of 60s books you would see and be like, oh. But um, it's like the good graphic art of the 60s. Maybe I'm off on that decade. Anyway, happy beginning of 2020, everyone. It is uh, Minor Feelings, and Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. Yeah, I agree with you on the cover. It's got kind of an interesting, I thought I had maybe like a late 60s, early 70s kind of vibe. But yeah, I get the, I get what you're saying for sure. I like it. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really good too. Um, So my next pick is, I don't know if it's maybe like the most anticipated book of the year, but it's certainly the book I am most curious about. So that is Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life by Marie Kondo and Scott Soshenshine. Uh, and so this is uh, comes out of uh, April 7th from Little Brown Spark. Uh, and it is all about uh, organizing both sort of your work life in like the physical space and also sort of the work life of like wasteful meetings and unnecessary tasks and uh, the kind of things that drain our joy and productivity. So um, I just, I was really curious what Marie Kondo was going to do next after writing a couple of books and doing her Netflix show. And like, once she's taught you kind of like all about the joy of tidying, like what else is there? So I'm really interested in seeing like what she is going to talk about when it comes to work. The professor she's writing it with is a Rice University business professor. So he, um, you know, has some experience in that area. And so I think maybe like bringing those two people together to look at both sort of like your physical space and like the mental clutter and um, kind of mental ways in which like our work worlds don't help us be our best is going to be interesting. So um, the book jacket or the book copy talks about how the book will help you overcome the challenges of workplace mess and enjoy the productivity, success and happiness that comes with a tidy desk in mind, which um, given that I had to spend like part of my first day at work back after uh, the Christmas break, like cleaning off my desk because I couldn't deal with all the stuff on it anymore. It feels like this book was probably like written for me because uh, I am I am not tidy. So uh, that book is Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life by Marie Kondo and Scott Sosenshine. I have a pile of papers that sits to my left at my desk and it just kind of keeps growing until I suddenly am like, my desk is so messy. And then I just like put them in a tray that I have. uh to my right so but like the pile of papers it accumulates for like months i would say uh Mm -hmm. i actually just as i was leaving today i was straightening it and i was like it's 2020 i should probably (laughs) move this pile over to my tray um but anyway what i'm saying is this book sounds like something i should read and (laughs) i'm interested in her office philosophy uh so my uh, essentially last new excited book thing is rust a memoir of steel and grit by eliza colette goldbach it's out in march from Flatiron books um so she eliza was basically she was working uh at arcelor Mittal steel as number 6691 utility worker um, but this was not, of course, the, well, maybe not, of, maybe not, of course. Some people probably want to be steel workers. I think I heard somewhere that it pays well, but that could also be a, a misconception, which this book would clear up. Anyway, so she had recently graduated college. She really wanted to leave her conservative hometown. And, um, so she decided, you know, she was going to apply for a job at this steel mill yeah, that's local. Um, so this was basically 
the mill sort of encapsulated everything she was trying to get away from, like with her, you know, like roots, etc. But it was her, quote, only shot at financial security in an economically devastated and forgotten part of America, Um, which I think... Did I tell you I once had a conversation with an Amtrak conductor because he was like, we're not allowed to look at our phones, we're not allowed to read a newspaper, but apparently they can sit and talk to passengers for the entire train ride. Anyway, so he told me about working in a coal mine, and he said he was like, it's a terrible, terrible job, but it pays really well. So I feel like – and in a lot of Illinois, that was kind of like what you were able to do, Um, like central southern Illinois, mostly southern Illinois. But anyway, so this this reminds me of that with, mm-hmm. with being a steelworker. So she – in this book, Rust, she brings the reader inside the mill and this sort of middle American upbringing that brought her there and just kind of really, um, let's say, lingers on the – having a Rust Belt childhood and, you know, wanting to leave but not turn her back on, you know, sort of like her upbringing um, – it sounds really interesting, and I have no idea, again, how a steel mill works, so I'm really excited to read it. Um, that, again, is Rust, a Memoir of Steel and Grit by Elisa Colette Goldbach. I, at the, well, I guess, like, you should do your, your other pick, and then I have, like, a couple of shout-outs that I want to do about, like, some others that didn't quite make the list. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so my last pick is called... Um, or first, I should say that one sounds really good, and I um I'm very fascinated. Like I'm interested in books that are about kind of some of these um, areas, but I like coming at them from different perspectives. So I think this one sounds really good. So my my last pick is How to Be Fine: What We Learned from Living by the Rules of Fifty Self Help Books by Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinsner. And this one comes out uh, March seventeenth from William Morrow. Uh, and so the authors of the book are the hosts of the By the Book podcast, where um, what they do is do deep dives into different self help books, and so then. They live by the instructions and the rules and the advice in different popular uh, self-help books for a period of time to see what will happen. Uh, so they kind of record in both like audio and like themselves what happens. Um, they tell and then they tell their listeners about it to see if anything in those books would be helpful. And they kind of try to assess whether they think the advice in the book is solid and kind of what it means. Um, and it is... Um, it's a fascinating podcast. I have listened. I haven't, I'm not a regular listener, but I've listened to several episodes, especially about books that I, like, I myself have read. Um, and they, uh, they're really funny. And so, um, when they went into doing the podcast, uh, Jolenta, like, really wanted to believe that these self-help books would be really good for people. Um, Kristen was more of a skeptic, but, um, they discovered that both of their lives have really changed by doing the work of their podcast of living by these self-help books. And so they both kind of had experience that have changed them in different ways. So um, what the the book, How to Be Fine, does is kind of synthesizes all of the lessons that they've learned. Um, it kind of shares their experiences, some of the things that have happened to them since they started following uh, self-help book advice. And then it looks at what works and what hasn't and what kinds of kind of philosophies and theories and lifestyle choices they would like to learn more about. Um, I think the first episode of their podcast that I listened to is the one about Rachel Hollis's Girl, Wash Your Face, because um, I read it and then we kind of talked about it on the podcast and how maybe problematic Rachel Hollis is, we'll say. Um, and they had some really interesting, um, 
really interesting thoughts about her and her book and kind of what it means and what kind of limits and blind spots that book has. So I'm really interested to kind of see, given like how many self-help books they have read read and lived by, um, what they have actually taken from that and what some of the biggest kind of best synthesized advice they can come up with. So I think this book sounds really fascinating. I'm excited about it. So that is uh, How to Be Fine, What We Learned from Living by the Rules of 50 Self-Help Books by Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinsner. I should listen to that podcast. Sounds really good. But I feel like I keep starting like new ones and then I like either fall off or whatever. It's fine. The Dream Season 2 just came out and that's kind of absorbing <laughs> a lot of my podcast time. Um. Anyway. Okay. Oh, yeah. I had shout outs for like some others that I couldn't quite like get into in depth because I ran out of spots on the list. But um, they all sound really good. They include... These Fevered Days, 10 Pivotal Moments in the Making of Emily Dickinson, which, like, awesome. Uh, Too Much, How Victorian Constraints Still Bind Women Today. I'm very interested in that. And Smacked, A Story of White Collar Ambition, Addiction, and Tragedy. There are also, I feel like every day, because I'm doing my, like, I'm trying to cobble together my list of new releases for the year, and I keep seeing new awesome books coming out. So it, it's going to be a good year for nonfiction, is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff that I'm really psyched about that I remember either like saw the news that it was coming out last year or whatever. And there's just there's lots of really interesting stuff. And I think more to come for sure. All right. Uh, so with that, we will round out the podcast as we usually do by talking about the books that are making us happy right now or books that we're reading right now. Oh, my goodness. I'm just having a day today. Hopefully the same, you know? Yes, also hopefully making us happy, but are reading right now. You know why I did that? It's because my favorite podcast is Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, and that's how they end every um, every Friday episode is with the things that are making them happy Aww. right now. Um, and it's delightful, and it always, like, finds just, like, weird little things that you can, like, dive into that are really delightful. That's why I started to say that. <laughs> anyway, talk about what we are reading right now. Um, and so uh, right now I am reading uh, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead by Brene Brown. Um, and I always like to pick my first nonfiction book of the year and make it something that's going to like try and kind of help give me the like kind of like the um for the, the background or something about some of the goals that I sort of have for the year kind of in my whole whole life. Um, and one of the things that I'm really working on this year is trying to build and foster a lot of the connections I have kind of in my personal life and with some of my kind of passions and hobbies. And so I think um, I picked this book because I think like courage and connection and vulnerability are all intertwined and connected. And so I'm really, I, I've had this book on my shelf for like a million years too. So um, I really want to get to it and kind of see what it's about. So uh, yeah, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is what I am reading right now. I have also had Daring Greatly sitting on my shelf for a number of years. <laughs> I actually bought it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Quick side note. When I was in Austin, Texas, I was having a terrible time. It's not Austin's fault. It was something else's fault. Anyway, so I got caught in a rainstorm while I was walking by myself downtown. Um, I grabbed whatever their version of a rideshare was at the time, and it was called something else. And I took it to Book People, which is a very large independent bookstore in Austin, Texas. And I asked them because my shoes were soaked from the rain. And I was like, hi, I'm so sorry. Is it possible for me to buy socks from you and walk around your bookstore with no shoes on? And they were so kind 
and so amazing. And they were like, absolutely. And I was just padding around book people on that bad day. And I spent Aww. so much money on books there and socks because of that. And one of the books I bought was Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, which again, I have not read, but I still appreciate book people. They are so nice. Oh, that is a really nice story. Um, And uh, I guess I'll actually talk about what I'm reading now in addition to <laughs> that story. Go to book people if you're in Austin. Okay, anyway. Um, I am reading Lost Feast, the Culinary Extinction and the Future of Food, which – so the author is really interested in how um, certain foods that used to be really popular or just people would, you know, just eat uh, are now extinct with the animals that we use for them or um, – fungus or whatever it's it's now just gone so one of the most interesting things i think from the book is about the passenger pigeon which used to exist in just enormous quantities like they would just darken the skies with their migration and then everyone was killing them because they were like there are so many of them and then we can make pigeon pie so if you've heard of pigeon pie it's because of passenger pigeons and it's because everyone was like, they're so cheap because there are so many and we'll have them forever. And then they died. Um, it's not funny. So they, uh, they went extinct because they essentially needed large numbers in order to stay, uh, because of the way that their life cycle works or whatever, in order to, um, stay alive. They needed a lot of them. So they're all gone. People are trying to reverse engineer them based on, uh, related breeds of pigeon. And that that's just a generally fascinating chapter. After each subject that she learns about, she then and her, she and her friend cook a themed meal around it, which is also really interesting. And um, they have a whole thing about uh, how, you know, meat is very bad for the environment and um, the sort of like history behind these kind of um, – substitute meat so like beyond meat and that kind of thing and uh which her her meat loving friend is not a huge fan of but um i don't know it's very it's very interesting there's a lot about kind of where we are now with the food process and um, where we have been in the past so again that is lost feast culinary extinction and the future of food by lenore newman and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and uh, if you have a few minutes and you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, that helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Podcast.